I, uh, I want to take this moment to uh, briefly include an announcement I forgot. Uh, for our members, uh, we are having a vote right after the service on whether or not to call Adam Kester, who was candidating last weekend to be, uh, it, it's an associate pastor position, a pastor of community engagement. And so if you're uh, a member, please, after the service, I'll, I'll say it again. Uh, if you need to, go get your kids out of the nursery. We'll have a sign-in table at the back for our members to sign in so we can know who all we have, and then we'll, we'll do the vote. That'll be very quick. Uh, we'll get the results of the vote, and that'll be the extent of the meeting. So that'll be really quick. Um, now back to the worship service, uh, now that that announcement's done. Uh, tomorrow and Tuesday is our district conference leadership, uh, con district, uh, central district leadership conference. Uh, and one of the speakers in for it is Carl Vaders. Uh, Carl Vaders was, uh, being a man who loves the local church, was really looking for a local church he could preach in, and uh, we were happy to give him that opportunity. Uh, Carl and his wife, Shelly, live in Orange County, California, where he has been the pastor for almost 30 years of Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, has been in ministry for around 40 years. He's the pastor, author, speaker, um, who really loves the local church and feels uh, a, an, a, a special call on his heart for smaller local churches. As uh, he, I, I saw on your website, uh, I think no less than 25 times where he references that most believers in the world go to small churches, but a lot of the attention in the publishing world goes to larger or what we would think of as mega churches. And so we are happy to have you here, Carl. Carl has uh, a couple of podcasts. One that I just want to point you to that I think would be uniquely helpful for, for some of you is the Bible Reading Coach. Where uh, And so write that down, especially if you are in a read through the Bible in a year plan. It's just to help people get through that and think through their Bible reading over the years. So Carl, thank you so much for being here. Uh, uh, Carl's going to come up and I'm going to pray and then we will uh, we'll hear from the Word. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Pastor Carl, that you would bring him here to share with us. Lord, we pray that your blessing would be on him. And Lord, specifically, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be moving in our hearts and minds to help us see uh, what your word is calling us to as a group of believers. Uh, thank you for this time, and Lord, we thank you for the body of Christ uh, and the opportunities we have like this to get to know other members. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It is an honor to be with you today. Uh, as, as Pastor Chuck mentioned, we are coming from California, and I'm not sure what you Iowans think of us. All I can tell you is you gave us a very interesting greeting when we landed at the airport yesterday. Uh, Ten days ago, about two weeks ago, we were headed to Fargo, and we didn't get out of Denver. We went from Southern California to Denver. By the time we got to Denver, all flights to Fargo had been closed for the next 36 hours, which was the length of the conference I was supposed to speak at. <laughs> so we got on a plane and got back home nine hours after we left. We never got off the plane or out of the airport that day. So this time it was like, hope we make it out of Denver. We get to Denver and weather, weather watch for Des Moines, and we're looking at it and looking at it. They let us get on the plane, still weather watch. They let the plane take off, still weather watch. Takes us 20 minutes longer to get here than usual because they had to go around the storm. We land, we get in the terminal. We are walking through the terminal, not even at our baggage yet, and the announcement goes, we're shutting down all flights, there's a tornado coming. 
And we, I think we were the second to last plane to land. So we get there and we're lined up for the rental car and we're, we're, we're like, give us an earthquake, no problem. We just ride it out, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but um, tornadoes we're not used to. So we're in line and we're talking with a local in front of us and she's like, nah, this is not a big deal, no big deal. They get on and give announcement and the announcement is about something like this. Uh, we think there's a tornado headed this way, so if uh, you want to seek refuge, then uh, maybe you could do that. He, he didn't actually say those words, <laughs> but it had that tone. So we're looking at each other going, does this matter? Or, and we're looking, so our, our rule was watch the locals. And the locals are just like, so, they, so we're, we're fine. And we wait, we're waiting still to get the car rental. Another announcement, a little more, um, th there actually is a tornado coming, we actually ought to be aware, and at this point, people are going outside to find it. <laughs> and I've never seen one before, so I'm out with him, and like, he's out, that's it right there. It, it just looks like a storm to me. No, no, that's it right there. Okay, I'm gonna, you're, you, I've seen a tornado now, apparently. <laughs> it didn't look like much to me, but one of you guys said it was, so I'm going with that. So I go back in, and we're still lined up because the locals still aren't. And then another announcement comes, and the people behind the desks run into their caves. <laughs> and we think, okay, now we need to move. And they get all of us downstairs in the basement, and we wait there, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, we're down there in the basement, as apparently it actually passed over our heads at the airport. So we get out, we get up, we rent the car, and uh, we go out to get the car, and we look. And um, we're wondering, okay, over here, it's beautiful and sunny. Over here, there's this weird V in the clouds. And we look at the map and we go, which direction are we heading? And we went, we're heading towards the V. We'll go back in and wait for a while. <laughs> so we go in and we wait for a while. It all clears, it comes out. It's sunny everywhere. We're walking out to the car. It begins to rain and then the rain starts hurting because it's not rain anymore, it's hail. Hail hurts. So we run back in again. It's like, I think Iowa just doesn't want us here. Um, they don't like Californians, apparently. Uh, so next time you all come, we got, a, we, got a, we got a rumbler for you waiting. You just wait, you're due. Next time you visit California, oh boy, we're gonna shake your world. Uh, it is. It is an honor to finally be here, and uh, we're looking forward to the snow tonight because we don't get any of that ever, uh, but it really is an honor to be here. So we're going to get right to Scripture today and see what the Lord has to speak to us today. Today I'm going to be talking about a man who's had a big influence on me. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Numbers 13, and we'll get to there in a moment. Um, when we're looking at the Bible, we love to talk about the Abrahams and the Davids and the Joshuas and and the Pauls, and, and understandably so, and obviously Jesus. Um, but as I'm looking at anybody other than Jesus out of Scripture, uh, I recognize uh, there's only so much that I can learn, for instance, from a Moses. And there's only so much that I can relate to him. I can learn a lot from him. That's, that's a better way to phrase it. I can learn a lot from Moses, but I can't relate to him a lot because um, I'm never going to lead two million people out of slavery. I'm never going to write a portion of the Bible, and if I try, stop me, because that's, like, really bad, right? 
So I look at Moses, I can learn a lot from him, but I can't relate to him. And then there's another group of people in the Bible that I call them the behind the headlines folks. And they're in the shadows. And I like to look at them because in the New Testament, for instance, one of my heroes is Barnabas. We don't hear much about Barnabas, but if you look at Barnabas' story and what he did to bring about the ministry of the Apostle Paul and then step aside and let Paul shine, it's really extraordinary. I can do that. I, 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 could, I, I won't do that, that way exactly what he did, but I can, that idea I can do. And we're going to look at someone who did something similar to that in the Old Testament today. We're going to be taking a look at the man named Caleb. Caleb. To get there, though, let's see some background. When we get to Numbers 13, the uh, Hebrews have spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt, and they have just been freed from Egypt by God through the hand of Moses. They've now crossed through the Red Sea. They have now been in the wilderness maybe just a matter of a couple months, not years, just a couple of months, and they have, uh, they have gone to the mountain where God originally met with Moses through the burning bush. At that mountain, God has given them the, them the Ten Commandments. They had their first major rebellion with that crazy you know, idol that they said, let's lead us back to Egypt, and God said, no, that's not happening here. And in a matter of just a couple of months, they've gone through all of that, and they are now at the edge of the promised land, the land that God had given to their forefathers. And as a wise general would do, Moses sends in 12 spies, one representing each of the tribes. And he goes in, and I hadn't noticed this until a couple of years ago when I was reading this passage. One of the reasons, is, as your pastor mentioned, that I'm doing a podcast called The Bible Reading Coach is because as we read through the Bible every year, there always seems to be something new. Every once in a while, I'll read something and go, oh, come on, that wasn't there before. I, I would have noticed that before, and right, it's, it's been there. I just hadn't noticed it before. This is one of those moments. Numbers 13, 18. Moses gives the spies a survey to fill out. So have a survey in your mind now as you read this passage. Again, for many of you, you've read this before, but now that I've mentioned the word survey, you're going to see a survey here that you never saw before. Numbers 13, 18. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak. So in my, picture, in my head, I've got a picture of a survey. See what the land is like and then strong, check this box. Weak, check this box. Right? See whether the land is strong or weak. Few or many. Check one of those boxes. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So Moses actually gives them a checklist. He gives them a survey. Go in. Here are the things I want to know. Here are the, here's the results that I want you to bring back. It's not just a matter of go in and see what it's like and tell us. He wants to know very specific things, and he gives them an actual survey to fill out. So in my head, I imagine that they go in, and that they go in by twos to various different segments of the land. They, des they decide they're going to meet back, and I imagine that they meet back on the, other, on, on the side of the Jordan. Before they cross the Jordan again, they probably meet back together again and say, okay, let's consolidate our results and let's see if we're all agreed or if we're disagreed so that we'll know how to give the report to Moses. I imagine that they walk through this checklist again and they do something like this. So in verse 18, are the people there, are they strong or weak? And everybody goes, oh, everywhere we went, the people were strong. Okay, we're all agreed. We'll check the strong box there. 
the people, are there few or many? And they all agree, there's many. All 12 of them agree, there's many people. They all check the many box. The land, is it good or bad? They all went, oh, it's very good. So they all check the good box. Towns, are they wall unwalled or fortified? And, there's, and they all agreed, they're walled towns, like Jericho's one of the towns, right? They agree. The soil, is it fertile or is it poor? It's fertile, wow, okay. And then trees or no trees, lots of trees. And, and, and then the fruit, is bring back some of the fruit, and they go, well, we will if we can, but these grapes are so heavy, we gotta put them on a stick and have two of us carry them. I was, I was raised in the Central Valley of California, some of the most fertile uh, vineyards in the world. And I'm gonna tell you, I've never seen grapes big enough that you gotta carry them between you on a stick. That's just not how big they are, but this is amazing. So I can imagine they all do this, they go through the survey and they look around and go, oh, this is great. So we're all agreed on the answers. We know what the report to Moses and to the people will be. I imagine they pick a spokesperson. The Bible doesn't say which one, but it doesn't matter who we pick because you know, we all agree. So M-E-L from Dan, you take it. You're going to speak for us. That, again, this is, me, this is me imagining it. And then I want you to imagine that the 12 of them get up and they're on a, maybe on a stage of some type and they're talking to the nation, but mo mostly to Moses and Aaron and to the leaders. And they give this report. And I can imagine Caleb is so excited by this report that he can't wait to have the people hear it. And he's just, he's wanting to high-five everyone about it. And then Amiel finishes his report, and Caleb goes to high-five the person next to him, and everybody around him is in tears. How do we know that? Numbers 13, let's jump to verse 37. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the descendants who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along, and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we, devour, we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Caleb has to jump into the middle of a bad report in verse 30 and say, wait a minute. Essentially, what he tells them is, yeah, they're big walls, but those walls are us, for us to live behind. There are big people, they're giants, but those giants will be our servants. Yes, there are great crops. We're going to get to eat crops from, from trees we didn't plant. We're going to get to eat fruit we didn't have to work on. We, we just, we're just going to go in and take it. So what was the difference between Caleb and the rest of them? Well, Caleb had a different mindset. He had a different approach to it. I'm going to look at four big principles that make the difference between Caleb's report and the report of the others. First of all, first principle that I believe Caleb followed was this. Do what's right instead of what's easy. Do what's right instead of what's easy. Peer pressure is a powerful thing, and it doesn't go away after you graduate from high school. We are all subject to peer pressure. It had to have been hard for Caleb to stand against the crowd. 
Because in this situation, the crowd he was standing against weren't the enemies, they were his family, his friends, his nation. When the good guys are going in the wrong direction and you have to stand up and go, no, this is wrong, that has to be very, very hard to do. He wasn't standing against bad guys. He was standing against godly leaders. It would have been way easier for him to just go, well, maybe I must be the one who's wrong here, and just go along with the crowd. There are times when if everybody around us is going somewhere else, we need to look at it and go, well, maybe I am the person who's in the wrong here, and check with wise counsel. But there are times when the crowd is just plain wrong. And in those times, we need to stand up for what's right. So how do we tell the difference between standing for what's right and refusing to listen to wise counsel? Well, if God has gone ahead of us, if it is in God's word, and Caleb knew this was God's word for them, so he knew he was standing with God by faith. And that was the difference. Caleb was able to see the circumstance. Caleb saw the circumstance, but he saw it through the eyes of faith. Which gets us to point number two. So point number one, do, the, do what's right instead of what's easy. Point number two, we need to see the reality behind the reality. This to me is one of, maybe perhaps a good definition of faith. Faith is seeing the reality behind the reality. What do I mean by that? Well, they agreed on the surface reality. The walls were thick. The giants were huge. The people were evil. That was all reality. Caleb did not deny that reality. He didn't say, oh, no, the walls aren't thick. Oh, no, the people are nothing. Oh, they're actually nice and they'll greet us. He didn't didn't disagree on any of the facts. They all had the same facts. Caleb had a different approach. Why? Because faith doesn't deny reality. Faith sees a deeper reality. It isn't faith to look around and go, oh no, everything's fine. It's faith to look around and go, yeah, things are tough right now. This is a difficult season. People are having a hard time. Faith says, but our God will do something about that. Faith doesn't deny the difficulty. Faith sees God's provision behind the difficulty. We need to see the reality behind the reality. What was their reality? Their reality was the slave perception. From 400 years of slavery, you can take the the man out of slavery, but sometimes it's hard to take the slavery out of the person. And the people had been removed from slavery, but slavery had had not been removed from the people. They had a slave perception. We saw that in verses 29 and 33, right? It says, in 29, how do they identify the land they're going into? It's the land of the Hittites and the Jebusites, and right? It's the Ites land, right? And it's the land of the Anak and the giants. That was how they perceived the land. It's, it's their land. It's the land that belongs to those really big, scary people. What was Caleb's deeper reality? Caleb saw it by the name that we usually refer to it as today. To Caleb, it was not the land of the Hittites and the Jebusites and the giants. To Caleb, it was the land that God said it was. It was the promised land. Where are you going? Where is God taking you? What has God promised for you? If we see that next thing is the land of the Hittites and the Jebusites and the land of the giants and the land of difficulty, that will change our approach to it. But if we see it as the land of the promise, that will give us the eyes of faith. No place that we're heading 
that's good will be easy to get to. That's just a rule of life. I work a lot of the time with a group called Teen Challenge. They help people coming out, recovering out of, out of drugs and alcohol addictions and other life-controlling issues. And often what I'll talk to them about when I talk to them is I'll say, when you come to Jesus, your life is not going to go from here to here. When you come to Jesus, you will still have that court date next week. After you come to Jesus, your family still won't trust you because of years of things that you've done to lose their trust. After you come to Jesus, you will not suddenly be magically reunited with your, the, the wife that you divorced three years ago. After you come to Jesus, you will be in exactly the same place you were before, but here's the difference. Before Jesus, you were going this way, and after Jesus, you're going this way. Same place, different direction, and the, and the direction we're in changes everything. So I tell them this. Here's a basic rule of life, and I'll give it to you as well. Life is hard. It can be hard on the way down, or it can be hard on the way up. It's going to be hard either way. So if you're here today and you're in a place where you're thinking of just, just quitting, quitting your family, quitting your faith, quitting whatever, I don't know what it is, where you are, who you are. But in a crowd of this size, there's going to be some people who are right on the edge and wondering, should I just quit? Here's my, here's my, my reality for you today. Life is hard. It can be hard on your way down, or it can be hard on your way up. Yeah, you can quit. You can walk away from your faith. You can walk away from Jesus. You know what? Your life isn't going to get any easier or nicer or better. You're just going to be living it without Jesus. It's, just, it's hard now with Jesus, or it can be hard without Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right now, hard with Jesus is better than hard without Jesus. That's what faith says. Because it gets better with him. Hard on the way up is better than hard on the way down. So he saw through the eyes of faith. He realized what they were heading into would be difficult, but he recognized that it was the land that God has promised and he is going to go with God's promise. Why? Because he knew who'd made the promise. A promise is only as good as the person making it. And the longer you live, the more you realize the reality of that. Promise is only as good as the person making it, and the one who made this promise has never let us down. So he saw that reality, the deeper reality, the reality behind the reality. Now, at this point, those of you who in the room who have some biblical literacy and have heard sections of these stories before, at this point, and maybe all the way up until now, you think I've forgotten someone in the story. What about Joshua? It wasn't Caleb against the 11 spies. It was Joshua and Caleb against the 10 spies. Really? You got your Bible open. Read through, already, read through again what we just read through. I'll, I'll wait. Joshua's name has not been mentioned yet. Sometimes we know the story so well we read into it. Joshua has not been mentioned yet except as one of the 12 spies. So far, the only one who has spoken up has been Caleb. Not a word from Joshua yet. Now let's keep reading. This has been chapter 13. Chapter 13, Joshua has not spoken up, only Caleb. Chapter 14, verse 1. That night, or some translations say overnight, which I think is probably a better uh, way of understanding what happened. Overnight... 
that night, all through the night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. I just see, I just see them putting their head, head to the back of their hand like Scarlett O'Hara at that point, right? If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This was the conversation that built all through the night. We know that because it then says what happened the next morning. So the, he gives the report. They all retire to their tents, and all through the tents all night is, oh, no, this is terrible. Oh, no, we should choose another leader and let us go back to Egypt. Oh, Lord, what are you doing this to us for? And then the next morning, chapter Numbers 14, verse 5, it says this. The next morning, then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite, Israelite assembly gathered there. And then finally, in chapter 14, verse 6, we hear from Joshua as well. Numbers 14, 6, then it says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, there's a key, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. And then later on in Numbers 14, verse 24, it, God says, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went into, and his descendants will inherit it. And then later, a few verses, Numbers 14 and 38, it then adds Joshua, of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, survived. So, chapter 13, on the initial day, with the initial report, we only hear about Caleb speaking up. The night passes. The next day and the next chapter, Numbers 14, now we've got Joshua and Caleb. What happened overnight to change it, chapter 13, only Caleb was speaking up, to the next day, the next chapter, chapter 14, Joshua and Caleb speaking up? What happened overnight? The Bible doesn't tell us, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give you a probably, okay? Take this as a probably even Paul at one point said, I think I have the word of the Lord on this, like even in the Bible. So I, I'm going to say, I think this is an idea, but I'm going to try to separate. Scripture absolutely says only, only Caleb in 13, Caleb and Joshua in 14. I'm going to guess at what happened between chapters 13 and 14 over that night, okay? If you had been Caleb, if I had been Caleb, if any one of us had been Caleb and we'd had enough faith to speak up the, the previous night when everybody's going, oh, no, we can't take it. All 11 spies are against you, and Caleb's the only one. We can do it. We can take it. And then that night, if that night had happened and everybody's starting to grumbling, if you had been Caleb or I had been Caleb, what would you have done that night? I'll tell you what I'd have done that night. I'd have gone to 11 tents. That's what I'd have done. I'd have gone to 11 tents. I'd have gone to every single one of those and walked into their tent or knocked on their tent flap or however you do that and said, okay, what's going on here? Listen, it's, it's, it's 12 of us. If we, we can, it's not too late. We can turn this around. If we get up tomorrow morning after everybody's had a good night's sleep, if we all get up together and we go, no, we can do this. Come on, we can turn this around. I, he, I, I, I can't imagine he didn't do that. He went to 11 tents 
and especially Joshua. Because Joshua was not just one of the 12. He had already been Moses' right hand. Everybody knew he's the next guy up. Joshua's voice really, really matters here. And I can imagine him going to the others, and then maybe Joshua saves Joshua for last and walks in tired to Joshua and goes, Josh, man, you got to help me do. Of all I, the others, I can kind of almost, it bothers me, but not you. Man, come on. Not you, not with what you've seen, not with what you've done, not with how close you've been to Moses, not with what you've seen God do. I mean, you went with Moses partway up that mountain. Moses kept going and talked to God, but he came back. You saw him glowing before anybody else saw him glowing. You saw the tablets before anybody else saw the tablets. You were practically right there with him. We don't know what happened overnight, but that's my guess. That's my guess. I can see him doing that. Whatever he did, whatever happened overnight worked because point number three, be a positive influence on the faith of others. We need to be a positive influence on the faith of others like Caleb was. The night before, chapter 13, just Caleb speaking up. The very next morning, chapter 14, Caleb and Joshua are speaking up. This was the main result of Caleb's faith. It can be discouraging sometimes because sometimes, like Caleb, we see little obvious visible, in obvious and visible results from walking in faith. If Caleb did go to the other 11 tents and only brought Joshua over, that's less than a 100 batting average. Preachers like to talk about that when they're talking about success and failure and say, you know what, even in the big leagues, if you only get a hit one-third of the time, you're considered a success, so keep going, because if you're only right one-third of the time, you're still doing great. This is less than one-tenth of the time, guys. <laughs> this is a less than 10% success. Anywhere, that's considered failure. You wash out in high school at that level. And yet, who was the one that came over? It was Joshua. It was Joshua. They only got one out of the 11. It was not enough to turn the faith of the entire nation around. They, they had to wander until they all died over the next 40 years. God just said, that's it. I'm not dealing with this. This generation has got to die out, and I have to raise up a new generation. It's going to take 40 years for this to work itself out. It seems like all that Caleb got out of his, his work and his, hard, his faith was to save his family and Joshua's family. But I want you to pause and ask yourself this. What would Israel's future have looked like if Caleb hadn't tried at all, if he hadn't won at least that one over? How much a leader could Joshua have been taking the land over if he had not been with Caleb then? Well, he wouldn't have made it into the land. He couldn't have done it. Who else could have led the Israelites if Joshua had not eventually spoken up for this? Well, God always finds someone, but it would have been a very different situation. When we take a stand and we stand on God's side and he takes over, sometimes it doesn't go the way we want. Sometimes we don't see the results as evidently, as immediately as we would like to. So we stand with God anyway. And we know that his long-term plan is better than the 
visible short-term results that we might see because of our limited perception. So be a positive influence on the faith of others. And even if it doesn't look like you're having impact, even if it doesn't look like you're getting through, even if it feels like you're pounding against a wall with virtually no results, keep walking in faith anyway because God will do things in his timing and in his way and for a longer term success than anything we can possibly conceive of. You just have to remain faithful. And then principle number four that I believe Caleb observed here was this. Stop caring about who gets the credit. Stop caring about who gets the credit. If all you knew about Caleb was from what I just read in this story, you would think that Caleb was the hero here and not Joshua. He spoke up first. Joshua was nowhere to be heard from the first day. Takes a chapter and a day for Joshua to be mentioned. If all you knew about Caleb was what you heard about from this story, you would think he's the hero of it. You'd look at it and go, well, shouldn't the books of the Bible be named Numbers, Deuteronomy, Caleb, Judges, Ruth, not Joshua, Judges, Ruth? Why is that the case? Well, because one of the reasons that Joshua became who he became was because of what Caleb did here. Forty years later, after this generation died out, and they finally entered the land, Caleb almost disappears from the story. He's mentioned once or twice in small ways. From that point on, it's all Joshua. He even gets the book, Bible book named after him, right? Joshua led the people. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. And here's what I'm convinced of. I am convinced that every single time Joshua stepped up and did something, every time Joshua won a battle, every time Joshua led the people, Caleb was in the shadows looking at him and going, that's my boy. You go, Caleb. What do you need, Caleb? What can I hold for you, Caleb? Who can I talk to for you, Caleb? How can I help smooth the road out for you, Caleb? Who can I convince for you, Caleb? What can I do? I'll be behind the scenes. They'll, they'll almost, I'll be in the Bible, but they'll practically forget about me. I'm cool with that. Go for it, Caleb. That's my boy. Go for it, Joshua. That's my boy. That's what Caleb's do. That's what Caleb's do. We look around and there aren't many Joshuas because we don't need many Joshuas. We need a lot of Caleb's. Most congregations only have a couple Joshuas. People that others really follow in evident ways, a pastor, a group leader, a worship leader, the people who are on stage or who take a, a, a position where they can be seen, and I'm grateful for every single one of those. But there's very few people. Right now, there's one person talking to a couple hundred people. Because there are circumstances in which if we all were, it wouldn't be a service anymore, it'd be a fellowship time. Both of value, but one involves this and the other involves the other. There's only a handful of Joshua's, and you may look at your life in Christ, and you may be looking ahead and asking, Lord, what do you want me to do in ministry? And you may look at me standing up here and going, I am not getting on a stage ever, then I guess God can't use me. No, not at all. Well, I'm not a leader. I'm not the one who's going to step up and take charge of a ministry and oversee it. I don't have the administrative abilities. Fine. What can you do? Can you pray for those who are, are leading the ministry? Oh, yeah, I can do that. Can you support them financially? Okay, yeah, I guess I could do that. Can you show up on time when they need you? I guess I could do a better job at that, okay. 
The skills of a Caleb that every single church needs do not require one ounce more training from you. They don't, they don't require any further skill level. They just require faithfulness and commitment. And every great church has a, a Joshua or two. And then we need a whole bunch of Caleb's. People who just simply work behind the scenes and don't care if they get the credit. Now, it's also helpful if the Joshua in the room isn't caring about credit too. <laughs> but the Caleb's just simply come in the background and just they support whatever God is doing through whomever God is doing it. But real Caleb's, not only do they not do it for the glory, they tend to shy away from the glory. Because I think the moment we worry about who's getting the credit, it influences and confuses how we make our choices. So, what are the four principles? Let's take a look at them quickly one more time. We've got to do what's right instead of what's easy. There are times when every, the crowd seems to be going the other direction. We need to check wise counsel. Sometimes we're just being stubborn, but if we know it's God, we've got to do what's right instead of what's easy. Secondly, we need to see the reality behind the reality. Faith doesn't deny difficult circumstances. It sees that God is greater than the difficult circumstances. Thirdly, be a positive influence on the faith of others. Continue to be an example, to, to continue to live as a godly influence. And then thirdly, don't worry if while doing that, you seem to get results. Stop caring about who gets the credit. So who influences you and who do you influence? I want to be a Caleb. As I come to this season of my ministry in my 60s now, and I think I hopefully have a couple good decades of ministry still left in me, I want to be a Caleb. I want to support the Joshua's around me. I want to be a Caleb, and I want to be around Caleb's. It's one of the reasons I'm here with you today. I walked around the lobby before church started, and a lot of the times when Shelley and I are called into a place and we're asked to preach on a Sunday, it's often because the church is in crisis and things are difficult and we walk in and we go, wow, yeah, it's sad here. They really do need that help. But didn't get that vibe today. This place is cool. <laughs> Felt like home. A place where there's activity and there's passion and there's faith and there's energy and God is doing things. So you are in a good place for God to speak to you and through you. And if you're having a hard time finding your spot, just be a Caleb. Just be a Caleb. Be the person you can depend on. Be the person that can be relied on. Be, be the person who can have a positive influence on the faith of others, even if you don't see the impact of that influence right away. Earlier in the service, the bags for Haiti. What a great example of being a Caleb. Don't, we don't do that for the credit. There's no credit available in that. You're just helping the people who need it. In our congregation, there was a group a few years ago that we'd heard about. A, a, they, they have, they're a home for abused women and children. And they're not Christian-based, but they got a lot of Christians who work in it. And uh, through a long series of circumstances, they came to us, and basically they asked for our help. And um, we said we would. And when we said we would help them, the response was tears, and like to a degree that I was like, why, 
you're asking for help, a church is saying they'll help you. That seems like a thing churches do when you're helping women and children who have been abused. And when she finally could dry her tears, she looked at me and she said, we have asked every church in this area if they would help us, and you're the first one to say yes. I said, that can't be. She said, yeah, because every single one of them, the next question they say is, can we invite them to church? Can we send you know, a car or a van by to pick them up? And we tell them no, because there's something about a guy coming by in a van to pick up abused women and children that triggers people. No, no. If you come on our campus... You cannot share your faith. You cannot tell them you're from a church. We just need the help. We can't have any branding connected to it because it's going to look manipulative. And we looked at the Bible and said, you know, there's a few places in the Bible that talk about orphans and widows. I think Jesus likes them and has a special place in his heart for them. And these aren't technically orphans and they aren't technically widows, but Abused women and children, I think God says yes. We're going to show up for there. And if we can't put our brand name on it, that's okay. We don't care who gets the credit. And so now, several times a year, well, multiple times a month, women of our church go and help. And a couple times a year, they do big work days where they do electrical or painting and so on. And they allow some of the men in our church to show up and help out. They're very slow about allowing men on the campus, and you can imagine why. And every time before we go, we sit down with the men in advance, and we tell them this. You are about to go to a place where women and children have been abused, some of them by every single man in their lives. For some of them, when you show up, they will be at arm's length. You're not to go over. You're not to, to push past that barrier. You just go and you do the work that you do. Because for many of them, you will be the first time that a man shows up in their life that they don't have to be afraid of. How does Caleb work? We've been doing this for almost 15 years with them. We've had one woman show up at our church. She gave her life to Christ, and she and her six kids by three different fathers moved out of state two weeks later because they got to get as far away from their abuser as possible, and we've never seen her since. One in 15 years. And I wouldn't make my decision any differently today than I did then. Even if there had been none that we knew of, Caleb does the work because God calls you to do the work. We don't care who gets the credit, and we know that the long-term results are in God's hand and not in ours. So as the band comes up, they will be leading you in worship in a moment. I want you to realize that every single person who makes a commitment of faith in Christ has an impact for the kingdom of God that you will never see in this lifetime. Some of us will have an impact in which some of what we do is very visible. Most of us will have an impact that is almost invisible. We cannot let that determine our obedience to the call.
we just have to follow. We just have to say yes to Jesus. Find the place of greatest need that you have the opportunity to step in and fill. It may be as simple as, I'll be praying for you, and then actually do pray. It may be as simple as, I'll show up and haul chairs if you need chairs hauled. I'll cook a meal if you need cook. I'll clean up afterwards if you need cleaning up. What's the job that nobody else wants to do but has to be done? Volunteer for that. That's what Caleb's do. And if you've got a church full of Caleb's, which I'm convinced you do, then God can, will, and does do amazing things through that kind of commitment. I want to thank you for the opportunity to share my heart today on this. Go be a Caleb.